Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And before we dive into our main topics for the day, just a quick friendly reminder, we've been doing this show about twice a week for the last two months now. Uh, if you've been enjoying listening, please feel free to leave me a five-star review. And uh, you know, for our G-rated segment where we talk about new movies and TV shows, I'm always looking for new recommendations. So in your review, let me know what you've, what you've thought of the show so far. And also feel free to leave a couple of recommendations for any TV or movies that you've watched recently that uh, you've enjoyed. And who knows, we might talk about it on the show moving forward. But uh, let's dive right in. Obviously, not a lot of new stuff to talk about with the Suns since our last pod. They've only played one game, and it was uh, Saturday night's loss to the Pacers. You know, Devin Booker didn't shoot particularly well. Aiton was, uh, we'll talk about him at length here for a little bit. Um, but it was kind of the rare game where the Suns just looked outclassed from start to finish. Um, you know, we've seen them, you know, play down to the level of their competition before. We've seen them um, be outperformed for like two or three quarters and then, you know, find a way to hang around, kind of like that Portland win that they had uh, two nights before. But uh, this was just a bad one. There were too many turnovers. CP3 shot like two for 10 from the floor. Um, Crowder went one for eight. The defense was just kind of off all night. DeMontis Sabonis had a field day. He, I think he, he had a triple-double in that game. And the Pacers just kind of had an answer every time the Suns made a run. You know, they, were, they had Doug McDermott attacking off the dribble and driving to the basket and cutting, and they shot an absurd percentage from three. So it was just one of those rare games where the Suns looked out of sorts, uh, didn't look like the contender that we've seen them become over these past few weeks. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's not, uh, it's not cause for panic. It's not cause for alarm. It was just a bad game. Their first two games of the all-star break haven't been great. You know, that Portland game, they were kind of outperformed for most of three quarters before they really turned it on in the fourth. Um, but you know, the Pacers were kind of riding that high of having Karis Levert on the floor for the first time. And, you know, that's a good team. They're better than their record would indicate. So, you know, nothing to be concerned about, but the one thing that we do need to address, and this is our first main topic of the show, is DeAndre Ayton and our potential concerns there. I kind of talked about this on the last episode of the pod about how good Dario Saric has been and how lately that's kind of cut into DeAndre Ayton's fourth quarter minutes. Um, and, and it felt like sort of a temporary thing just based on matchups, just based on the game flow and, and how well Sharch was playing compared to how kind of mediocre DeAndre Ayton has been lately. Um, but it's starting to become something that we really can't ignore. Um, over the last five games, he's played in just one fourth quarter. Um, he played seven minutes in that fourth quarter. But for the most part, he's been on the bench for entire fourth quarters a couple of those games were blowouts, but they didn't turn into blowouts until, you know, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter when DeAndre Ayton is taking his rest. That is both a testament to how good that CP3 Dario Saric lineup is that Monty likes to run out at the end of third quarters at the beginning of fourth quarters. 
Um, but it's also kind of alarming that teams are a, that Aiton is not part of these game changing runs that the Suns are going on and B that Aiton is kind of getting phased out in these fourth quarter rotations. Um, and, and teams are doing it to him by kind of constantly attacking him. And again, we talked about this on the last pod, so I won't go into too much detail here, but teams are learning that if you put DeAndre Ayton in multiple actions on the same play, he's not going to be able to hang. He's not going to be able to make those rapid fire decisions one after another on the defensive end. Um, and, and that makes him a bit of a liability, um, not just for this recent stretch of games, but looking ahead to the playoffs when teams are going to be better, they're going to be smarter, they're going to be well coached, and you're looking for every type of advantage against your opponent in a seven game series. Um, you know, being able to make adjustments is a key part of that. And at this rate, don't be surprised if we see in the playoffs that DeAndre Aiden's minutes are down as they have been over these last five games. I don't think he's cracked 30 minutes in any of the last five games. Um, he's, he's been around like 23, 26, 28 minutes in that stretch. Um, and against the Pacers, it was pretty obvious that he was not up to snuff against that back line of DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner. Um, you know, the, the mark that was the play that was kind of emblematic of the whole game was it was near the end of the third quarter and DeAndre Ayton got the ball on a roll and he was running towards the basket you know, it was easy to flash back to the days of Amari Stoudemire because he got the ball in position. He was flying towards the rim. He was about to elevate for a dunk, you know, ready for that poster dunk because Miles Turner was right there at the rim to meet him. And DeAndre Ayton just kind of, instead of rising to that challenge, trying to rise up and dunk over the league's leading shot blocker, which is what you would want your number one overall pick to do, he kind of like double clutched and tried to out finesse him and tried to like sneak one over him and Turner blocked it anyway. It, it was, he really kind of faded from that moment. It could have been an epic moment. He could have dunked over him or even if he ha had gotten blocked, he could have risen up and tried it at least um, maybe drawn a foul, but instead he like, he totally just stopped his ascent in midair and kind of double pumped and it, it, it wasn't a good look. And then to make it even worse, I think this is the part that might bother me the most is that after that he got blocked and he just jogged up the court the Pacers scored. He was just jogging up the court. Um, Monty pulled him after that play and he didn't play the rest of the night. And that was at the two Oh seven mark of the third quarter. Now, obviously Sharich was good he god bless dario Sharch because in a game where the suns lost by 11 points and where they trailed by as many as like 21 he still wound up a plus four for the game i don't know how the guy does it he's a plus minus wizard but that's besides the point in any case dario Sharch was playing well uh saturday night against the pacers so it makes sense that he was the guy that they looked to close with because ayton clearly he was in that place where he just kind of disappears and um, loses his focus and he's just not locked in and he's of no use to anyone when he's like that. I think he still had a double double, but it wasn't an impressive performance by him by any means. Um, and, and it's kind of, it speaks to some of these larger issues that keep coming up with Aiton. You know, he, he's made a lot of progress on the defensive end, but like I said, teams are going to put him in constant action. They're going to make him make multiple decisions. And right now 
he doesn't look like a guy that's ready for that kind of challenge. Um, and then offensively, you know, he, he's just, he's not, he's not really doing a whole lot. It doesn't take a lot for him to be effective on this team. Like we've talked about in the past, when I had David Nash on the show, we talked about how little it takes for him to be effective in his role as far as setting strong screens, rolling hard, sealing his man, cleaning up around the basket, attacking the offensive glass. Like that's all the Suns really need from him to be effective. And yet there are still these nights where he's just a non-factor on that end. Like, yes, he has that gravity that frees things up for shooters because when he rolls, defenses has to account for him. They have to, otherwise that's just an easy two points. But uh, it is concerning that, you know, the Suns net rating on the season, this isn't just over the last five games, where his minutes have been reduced, but on the season, the Suns net rating jumps from 4.1 with him on the court, which is pretty good to a team best 10.4 when he's off the court. Um, part of that has to do with just how good the Suns are with Dario Saric out there, obviously, but you know, it, it's kind of telling that the Suns defensive rating improves from 110.8 points per 100 possessions to 101.2 so that's nine point. That's a difference of nine point six points per one hundred possessions. That the Suns are better defensively when he's not on the floor. Their offensive rating is a little bit better. I think three points per one hundred possessions better with him on the court. So that's good. But the defensive thing is becoming a concern because as much progress as he's made, he can still be vulnerable on that end of the court. And the Suns are not, and they're better with him off the court. Um, and, and this kind of segues into our next topic, which is the other big area for concern. And we, we should note that all of these things that we're talking about here, they need to come with a grain of salt because despite these things being a potential concern, the Suns are still, they still have the third best record in the NBA after last night's loss. Um, they still have the third best point differential. They're still one of, you know, two teams that are in the top 10 for both offensive and defensive ratings. So this is a very good team but these kind of minor quibbles that we're talking about are things that will matter in a seven game playoff series, especially if we're of this mind that the Suns are legitimate contenders. So the Suns have had a real problem with figuring out a starting lineup <laughs> and maybe I'm biased in saying this, but part of that problem is that the starting lineup that they've found that has worked is one that's not going to fly in the playoffs. And it's that, that starting lineup, with Kaminsky at the four. Um, so if you look at their original starting lineup, the Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton lineup, that still played the most minutes on the roster, 308 minutes on the season, um, which is the most on the team of any lineup. Uh, they've appeared in 28 games together, not necessarily as starters, but just overall, they've appeared in 28 games together They've compiled a 20 and eight record in that stretch, but their net rating is a minus 5.7. So obviously that's not good. We all remember the start of the season where it was kind of tough sledding, especially because the Suns would get off to such rough starts and the bench would have to come in and kind of bail them out. Um, even Devin Booker said as much during that stretch when the starting lineup was really struggling. Um, so then they switched to the Paul Booker Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton lineup. Um, and that has played 123 minutes. That's the third most. Um, they've appeared in 18 games together, 12 and six record, and their net rating is a plus 8.2, which is really good. But Johnson really struggled in that starting role. 
um, you know, his, his, so just to give you an idea of how much he, he started in nine games and has come off the bench in 25 games. So as a starter, he averaged 9.7 points. He only shot 39% from the floor and 33% from three. Um, he was a minus 0.3 in those games. And the Suns had a four and five record in that nine game stretch off the bench. His numbers jump up to 10.7 points, uh, 45.6% shooting, nearly 40% shooting from three. He's been a plus 8.0, and the Suns have compiled a 19 and six record. So it's pretty clear that Cam Johnson is important to the bench, and arguably the bench is important to Cam Johnson just because of the way his numbers sort of jump uh, when he's in that bench role. So Cam Johnson in the starting lineup, as much as it was leading to a better net rating for the Suns and that starting five, was not the answer either. So now we're in this place where we've got Frank Kaminsky starting. Um, and with Kaminsky in that four spot, the they've played that lineup has played 164 minutes together, which is second most on the team. Um, over the 14 games that they've appeared together, they've compiled an 11 and three record and a plus 7.3 net rating. So the numbers look pretty good. You know, that looks like a dominant team, 11 and three record. 7.3 net rating like that looks pretty good and it's played the second most minutes on the roster but again you're not going to survive in the playoffs with Frank Kaminsky starting at the four even if he's just starting in name which kind of seems to be the case because his minutes as a starter and off the bench are not that far apart I think it's like 17 and 13 so he's really not playing that much he's just a starter in name so the Suns don't get off to these horrific starts like they were with Jay Crowder. Um, and, you know, Kaminsky's production has been pretty level in the 13 games that he started compared to the 16 games he's come off the bench. You know, his numbers are pretty eerily similar. There's a big dip in three-point percentage when he comes off the bench. Uh, it goes from almost 49% as a starter to 32% off the bench. But, um, and, you know, we, we can't, overlook the fact that the Suns are 11 and two in his 13 starts compared to 10 and six in the 16 games he's come off the bench. But, you know, just looking at Jay Crowder's numbers, like he is not effective in that bench role. His, his points uh, dive from 11.8 points per game as a starter to 7.7 off the bench. Um, he's shooting, I think like six or 7% worse from the field He's shooting like 6% worse from three-point range. He goes from being a nearly 40% shooter to like 34% um, as, a, as a bench player. Um, the problem, obviously, is that with the starting lineup, he's a negative 1.1, and coming off the bench, he's a plus 6.3. So it's rough because all the numbers indicate that the Suns should be starting Frank Kaminsky, but as we've seen lately, that's just not the answer. And he's only a starter in name. He's not a starter as in terms of his actual minutes that are being played. He's just kind of a stopgap um, to fill that four spot. So the Suns can stop getting off to these terrible starts. And that has mattered more with Cam Johnson out of the lineup lately. Um, we're, we're, we're seeing the bench kind of take that hit of not having Cam Johnson out there. Jay Crowder just not being a good bench piece in general um, and, and playing much better as a starter. So it, it's kind of a difficult um, territory to navigate here in terms of what the sun should do, because looking ahead to the playoffs, you need to have an established rotation. You want to get guys comfortable in their roles. And this is actually something 
um, it was either before or after the Portland game. I think it was before I had asked Monty about, you know, the first half of the season, you kind of expect him to experiment with these lineups like he did last year, try to find what fits because he has more depth than ever before. It's difficult figuring out who should play, who should play with whom and how many minutes they should play together. It, it is tough. And it's especially tough when the starting five that made the most sense is actually one of your worst options in terms of its net rating and its on-court viability there. Um, so I asked him about it and he, he said that, you know, they're, they're still going to try and take this on a game by game basis, which is kind of worrisome because as adaptable as these Suns players have been this season, something that he himself praised them for, you want guys to be in their set roles come playoff time. You want to have an established rotation. Um, you don't want to keep yanking guys in and out of the lineup like that. But, you know, at the same time, when you look ahead to the playoffs, part of being a good coach in the playoffs is making adjustments, making game to game adjustments, because game one is going to be a completely different game compared to game four of us of any series, really. Um, no matter how much talent is on either side, you need to be able to make those adjustments, fine tune the roster, <coughs> excuse me, and, uh, and kind of just play it by ear there. So the Suns are, they're in an interesting place in that regard, because if you look at what Monty is doing, he's kind of getting them used to adjusting and adapting on the fly. Um, he's really praised a lot of the guys on this team for being ready to jump in at any given moment and produce, which is a good thing for this team. But again, those lineups are going to be shortened in the playoffs. You only want to be playing eight or nine guys that you trust in the postseason, um, And you want them to be comfortable playing together. So it could backfire in a way if they don't iron these things out and just stick with the starting lineup and unfortunately, the closest thing they have to a lineup that they should stick with is the one that they should absolutely not stick with. So uh, it, it's kind of, it's a big problem there. I don't know. I honestly don't know what you do. I have been of the mind that you need to start Jay Crowder and just roll with it and hope that these issues kind of iron themselves out. Um, the net rating has improved for that lineup. Uh, you know, a negative 5.7 net rating sounds pretty bad, but it got a lot better over the second half of, you know, leading up to the all-star break, that second half of games, it was improving. Um, so I think that's what you do. You could honestly try starting Dario Saric at the four alongside Aiton, but I really do feel like his best role is as a small ball five. Um, and I'm not at the point where we need to be talking about benching Aiton because you need his size against other teams starting centers. Like Dario Saric is great in that small ball five role, for stretches, but if you put him there for a full game, you know, he's, he's, there are guys that are just too tall, too strong for him. Um, and that won't work either. So if you're playing him at the four, you're slightly playing him at a position where he's not as effective as he has been as a small ball five. Um, and you're also missing out on his huge bench impact that has swung the course of games, but that might be their best lineup in terms of a playoff lineup that they could actually roll with. So I don't know. I, I'm, I don't envy Monty being in this position. A lot of people are saying like, it's obvious he needs to start Dario Saric or it's obvious we need to go back to Jay Crowder or it's obvious we need to stick with Kaminsky because we're still winning. I don't think any of this is obvious. I think a lot of it is pretty tricky 
and it is a problem that I feel like the Suns need to sort out in these next few weeks so that they can get guys comfortable in their roles and make sure that come playoff time, they're able to adjust, yes, but they're also comfortable with who they are. Um, and, and I feel like, again, it could be a benefit come playoff time because when you think about the regular season where games are scrunched up on top of each other, um, you would think it would be more important to have a set rotation now so that, you know, guys, so that you're not tailoring your, your approach on a night-to-night basis based on what the other team is doing. Because um, when you have three different opponents in like a four-game stretch um, or a four-night stretch, you know, you, you want to be comfortable with what you're doing and not be constantly changing up the lineup based on what the other team is doing. It's in the playoff time where you need to make those game-to-game adjustments. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I really do think the Suns need to set a starting lineup and stick with it. And it needs to be one that they're comfortable with when it's playoff time because you don't want to be suddenly thrusting guys into roles that they haven't performed in for weeks. Um, but I guess Monty is leaving the door open to try different things for now. So we'll see how it goes over the second half of the season, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, and on a related note, we should give a quick shout out to Jay or Javon Carter. Uh, he saw some fourth quarter minutes Saturday night against the Pacers. He entered at like the 10 minute mark um, because the Suns needed sort of a defensive boost like Malcolm Brogdon and Doug McDermott were getting to the rim at will. Um, they were knocking down threes off of that dribble penetration, and it, it just seemed like the Suns needed a defensive boost. So because Etwan Moore wasn't playing particularly well, Monty rocked with Carter at the 10-minute mark and helped, and you know that lineup helped trim the deficit down from 17 points to 12 uh, by the time he ch- checked out like six minutes later. Um, Javon Carter did miss a, a really big corner three that could have swung momentum a little bit more. It would have cut the deficit from 17 to 14, I think. Um, and it was wide open. He did drill a three in transition, I think, uh, a couple possessions later, which was good. But just something to keep an eye on. Monty did say after the game that he's been, you know, Carter has been working his tail off in practice and that he's kept a great attitude about this whole situation, despite the fact that he hasn't been getting minutes. So, Uh, Monty said he has been looking for ways to get him back in the rotation again, which, um, you know, would be nice. We miss Javon Carter on the floor, but at the same time, if you could combine Javon Carter and Etwan Moore into one player, that player would wreak havoc off the bench, Um, you know, because Carter has that defensive bulldog mentality. He just makes plays on that end. He, He forces opponents into bad turnovers and possessions. Um, But, you know, Etwan Moore is much better as sort of this on ball penetrator. He can drive with the ball. He swings the ball. He moves the ball around so it doesn't stick like it kind of does when Javon Carter's on the court. You know, if, if Javon Carter gets the ball in his hands, there's a good chance it's going to stay there for six to 10 seconds, um, which is not what you want to see in an offense that's based on read and react. So We'll have to see his minutes would probably come at the expense of Etwan Moore, maybe a little bit of campaigns minutes, but um, it is an interesting thing that Monty has been trying to get him in the rotation, been looking for ways, opportunities for him. Um, and maybe we'll see a little bit more of him moving forward, but uh, you know, obviously the sun's biggest issues right now are, are Deandre Ayton and, and figuring out a set starting lineup that they can roll with heading into the postseason. Um, but that's probably going to do it for Suns content. We'll take a quick break and be right back after this. 
All right. So for today's G-rated segment of entertainment and movies, um, I'm actually going to touch on a TV show today that I binge watched a couple weeks ago. It only took me like a week or two, and it's called Letterkenny. It's on Hulu. Um, if you know about this show, you're probably already smiling. If you don't know about this show, you should check it out and you probably will be smiling. Um, this is one of my favorite things that I've been wa binge watched in a while. Um, it's just, so the premise here is that it's set in Letterkenny, Ontario, I believe. So it's a, it's a Canadian show and it's great because it has all these different clicks and this really small, um, the small like farm town, basically there's the main character is Wayne who is, um, you, you know, he's, he's a farmer. He's, he's part of their clique is kind of like the Hicks. So there's Wayne, his sister, Katie, um, Daryl, kind of his best friend, and then Squirrely Dan. And that, that group is just kind of the main cast, but they've also got all these different lovable cliques. You know, they've got the skids who are kind of like these goth kids that like do drugs and play video games and uh, dance a lot to EDM and they like DJ and there's all kinds of random stuff that they do. Um, you've got Pastor Glenn, who is like this gay preacher who, um, you know, he loves Jesus, but he's also very, he says a lot of uh, inappropriate things, uh, makes a lot of subliminal references. Um, then there's Riley and Jonesy, who are the hockey players, or like the dumb jocks that are always looking to score, both on and off the ice. Um, there's Gail, the bar owner, who honestly might be my favorite character, <laughs> just because She's so uncomfortable. She's like so sexually driven. Um, even the way that she just like moves around, like she's just kind of like gyrating in place while she's talking to people. It's so uncomfortable, but every time she's on screen, it makes me laugh. Um, and then there's just, you know, there's rednecks, there's all kinds of different clicks, but it's great because it's such a fun show with so many different callbacks and, and references and running gags that they bring in. And the rapid fire dialogue just makes this show amazing. It's one of those shows that you definitely have to watch with subtitles on and, and possibly a cheat sheet of all the like Canadian slang terms that they're using. Um, because there's a lot of things that like I had to look up. I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Like, <laughs> you know, they talk about like crushing sandos, which is basically eating a sandwich or, um, you know, we'll snipe Selly, which is basically, you know, scoring a goal and then celebrating <laughs> like, um, it's all kinds of just random lovable references that you'll probably find yourself using in real life after you watch this show. Um, like pitter patter, let's get at her all the time. Um, to be fair, like any time somebody says to be fair, now I say it like that because of this show. Um, and if you've seen the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you definitely should check it out. Um, because like I said, there are very few shows that can kind of master that back and forth rapport and just turn a conversation into like volleys of dialogue. Um, and it goes so fast. Sometimes you'll miss something and, and it's a good rewatchable show for that reason. Um, there's like nine seasons of it, I think, but there's only like six or seven episodes per season and it's only like a half hour show. So it's actually a relatively quick binge. Um, but it is cool because it's a great ensemble cast. There's different clicks um, that are all very different and unique in their own ways, but they all come together um, and see eye to eye on a lot of things when it matters most. 
Um, and there's just like a lot of random traditions that they all have that they all partake in despite how very different they are growing up in this small town. Um, you know, there's a lot of like slow motion fighting montages because one of the big things is Wayne. Um, he's the toughest guy in Letterkenny, so he gets in a lot of scraps um, or Donnie Brooks, as they call it. Um, so it, it's really just, it's a very fun show, a lot of inappropriate humor, um, but they'll just go back and forth with all these puns and they'll just, it's like a cascade of puns on puns on puns. Um, and it's just very cleverly written. I kind of understand why they only do like six or seven episodes per season, just because it must take them so long to come up with all these different, um, you know, puns and running gags and callbacks that they continually bring up. So it's a really great show. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, for my G rating, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Um, one of my favorite things that I've been binge watched recently, and it's a good way to just kind of let off some steam with something lighthearted and fun um, and easy to digest. Um, for our next G rated segment on, will that be Friday? We're probably going to do one on the debut episode of Disney Plus's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier because that episode comes out on Friday. Um, so we'll definitely be looking into that because if you've been listening to the show, you know I'm a huge fan of WandaVision and everything Marvel. So definitely going to have to check that one out. That's probably going to be more action-based than kind of the uh, head fuck that WandaVision was. But still looking forward to it all the same. And again, if you guys have not checked out Letterkenny, make sure to do that. But that's probably going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you all for listening. Again, feel free to write me a review if you're enjoying the show. Um, I've really enjoyed these first two months on the pod with you all. So thank you all for your support. And for this episode, this is Gerald Borgay signing off.